Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edwin Davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology is Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? Yeah, alright Ed, how are you? Good, I'm not currently planning on any six to one parlays because <laughs> they don't seem to end well for anyone. No. Um, uh, if you uh, haven't guessed from the title of the programme and from that reference we are going to be talking about uncut gems on this week's episode we've uh, not got any news uh, because we're pre-recording this we wanted to do a full episode in which we talk about the Safdie brothers uncut gems in which we kind of talk about the plot of the movie and you know kind of go into it in some sort of spoilery detail so this is your warning up front we're going to be talking about uncut gems and probably some uh, a lot of the a lot of the details about it because it's a movie that i loved it was my number one movie of last year i know you've seen recently emily and loved as well yeah. and it's just a movie that i haven't really stopped thinking about it since i saw it over christmas and uh we've done so much talking around it on the, the show since we've both seen it that it seems like the the time is now to talk about the the film in a little more detail uh so for people who uh, are unaware and why would you be listening to this if you hadn't already seen the movie uncut gems is the latest movie from the safety brothers who are a couple of filmmakers based out of new york who have been working pretty much constantly since the mid-2000s on various projects. They've produced a bunch of shorts and documentaries and uh, a couple of feature films. Most recently, prior to Uncut Gems, they had done Good Time with Robert Pattinson, which was their first kind of uh, step up to something approaching mainstream success in that it was a movie that got into a bunch of theatres even though it ultimately wasn't that successful and then previously to that did a movie called Heaven Knows What which everyone has uh, raved about but I still haven't had a chance to see but they kind of uh, their, their aesthetic I guess or their approach could be probably best summed up as a kind of incredibly stressful but purposeful chaos I guess they have a approach to making movies that isn't like I'm sure there is improvisation involved in it but there's this real sense that they are people who have a very clear vision of what they want in mind but are also prone to as in uncut gems um, just hire real people that they see on the street and think would look good in a movie and really uh, kind of are really kind of like follow their urges and their creative desires wherever it goes and i think they have made some great movies already like i said i think good time is great i really love their documentary lenny cook that came out in 2013 i think but this feels like not merely because it's been hugely financially successful and got them kind of in the awards conversation for a little bit even though ultimately they weren't uh rewarded at the oscars um they it, it really feels like a culmination of a lot of what they've been doing over the last like 10 years in a, in a way that is incredibly exciting and gratifying to see this was my first Safdie Brothers film so mm. I don't know what I even was expecting and I, and I, and I couldn't um, couldn't expect anything and I loved it I wasn't sure what was going on half the time but do you need to I don't think so I don't think I've ever 
had as much fun vicariously experiencing someone else's panic attack. Mm. That's how I feel about it. And I think what struck me from the off is that it feels like a video game. And I, Mm. and I don't think that the title being stylized to like, it just immediately made me think of Nintendo (laughs) (laughs) and this kind of, synthwave soundtrack I mean Daniel LePayton soundtrack is unbelievably good because mm. it manages to sink into the general feeling and atmosphere because even though Uncut Gems is set it's 2012 isn't it yeah which seems like <laughs> an eon <laughs> in the past it, and I and I got a weird kind of like nostalgic like oh because they're using old iPhones <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, with the green and blue bubbles um, proper bubble text but it, it the score sounds like nothing else you've ever really heard it doesn't it doesn't time give, give you a sense of the time or data at all um, but it just manages to I think it's just the sound of Howie's head I think it's this um, constant kind of cacophony of slightly high pitched but also quite angelic it's, it's quite hopeful mm. as a score but the, the way that we kind of move through the black opal itself and all of the colour and refractions, I just thought, okay, hello, this is something different. And I love the the way that everything kind of overlaps um, in terms of mm. shots, in terms of dialogue, that the plot is just something that kind of happens and these characters are just constantly in motion. I think Adam Sandler is absolutely amazing. Yeah. He I, I don't think he's ever been ever been better. It's it manages to be an incredibly funny but also really quite heartening <laughs> unbelievable performance. Yeah, I think the one of the criticisms that I saw leveled at it particularly after it debuted in the UK was like I found a lot of people saying that they couldn't they didn't like Howie or they couldn't like relate to him or whatever and I found that to be so completely alien to my experience of the movie because even though I like don't think that he is like a nice guy he's like cheating on his wife he's probably not that great of a father he's clearly just constantly putting himself into situations that he could totally not get into just because he is chasing that fix you know that sense of adrenaline that rush i still like totally understood why everyone in the movie loves him like you really get the sense that he is just this character that you know like a character in the sense of you know like someone that people know in their lives who's this kind of real whirling dervish of energy and someone who is just able to make things happen regardless of um you know their resources and i totally watched it and thought like even though like howard isn't necessarily like someone that maybe i would spend a huge amount of time with if i knew him personally i would probably still have a great deal of affection for him because he has this there's almost something like really romantic about him as a person as someone who kind of embodies you know that idea of the american dream of someone who genuinely believes that you can get ahead if you are willing to kind of take risks and do whatever it takes and you know regardless of the consequences would you say that that's the thing that 
joins all of Adam Sandler's characters together. You probably don't enjoy spending time in a room with them, but you do in a cinema. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that, particularly in a lot of his his earlier work, like Bobby Boucher and The Waterboy or Happy Gilmore. Like, there's that undercurrent, and you see this as well in, in Punch Drunk Love, obviously, like really tapped into this. There's this such real undercurrent of rage to those characters and in Billy Madison as well. Like, there's that real undercurrent of rage that probably means that they are not healthy people in terms of like their mental health and in terms of you know their broader lives but there is something like so exciting about seeing them on screen in that respect and and this one obviously is less overtly comedic than some of his other works but I really feel as if like so much of his comedic persona just kind of leads out just because that's you know who he is and that's what he does that it's still really funny and it's really funny as it, as it was in Punch Drunk Love to see an Adam Sandler character being dropped into a movie that takes place in a very different tenor to the kind of movies he usually is in. For sure I think I was just re-watching some of his most recent SNL sketches when he came back to host mm. Mm-hmm. And I think the range he has is actually brilliant. And then there's the fantastic Sandler family reunion where they really get to dive in and everyone has a go doing their best Sandman impression and mm-hmm. all the different characters that, that pop up. Um, I'm a particular fan of, of the family reunion sketches on SNL. But it's the Romano Tours one that I particularly love mm-hmm. where he's playing this guy who is on an ad for a kind of New Jersey based travel agency that takes pretty much just people from New Jersey to bits of Italy but the <laughs> but the ad kind of breaks down where he just insists over and over again like we we are not responsible for your happiness you you on holiday <laughs> is the same as you at home but he keeps it so deadpan and straight throughout even though he's always got that Adam Sandler thing of like slightly shouting at the same time as well and I think he's he just seems like a grafter and I like that mm. about him I like that he is he is sort of as much a worker as anyone else and the way that he described the Safdie brothers at the independent <laughs> the independent spirit awards was wonderful and he he is somehow the centre of this film and yet doesn't attract all of the attention. Like Howie is a character is someone who should have like the biggest ego ever. And mm. and yet he's just he is this constant ball of motion. And yeah. and yet when he does take moments to kind of sit down and he is still there's a kind of wonder to him. Like you say, he's not a nice person, but there is something like hypnotizing about him and I think this whole film is putting you into a trance I think that's Mm. kind of the point of it but I love the bit where he manages to just catch his daughter in the play and when gold coins kind of like (laughs) come out of her mouth instead of her speaking and he just has this really genuine moment of wow (laughs) 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 just because and yeah, you could say it's it's again money oriented, um, and the slightly blue velvet moment where he's just in the wardrobe, looking on, um, looking on Julia Fox with his really like quite endearingly realistic shit sexting, 
words, <laughs> complete with typos. Um, very straightforward for a man in his 50s. And Julia Fox is absolutely incredible. Mm, um, yeah. It being her film debut, she's just... And of course, uh, sorry, I had a, I forgot her name is also Julia in <laughs> yeah. in the film. And that the Safdies cast her because she'd been on the club scene in New York for ever. I mean, she nearly died when she was 17. Um, has been has been through a lot clearly um, and just gives the most incredible performance like the the fight that she has with Howie and where Howie is trying to get her away from his cab and the long tracking shot we have with her where she is like utterly furious and exhausted and just resigned but still kind of like she's on a mission now as well she's kind mm. of she's levelled up and the way that women are still like shouting to her from the queue and she um, shouts back is just like so it's so plausible like I, she blew me away I thought she was absolutely incredible yeah I think it's the movie in general feels very lived in like we we talked about this last week I think or the week before where we were talking about how it really feels like that block of New York like it doesn't feel like a lot of movies set in New York tend to have this kind of very vague feeling of what New York is like um, less so I guess like in recent years there have been so many shows about like living in Brooklyn which I think kind of get the specificity a little bit more but like movies that tend to take place in Manhattan or Long Island tend not to have that same sense of like trying to capture the details and everything in the movie kind of really does feel feels real feels lived mm. in feels like you are and in some cases you are that you're seeing real people interacting in this this space together and it kind of does feel like you're saying about um howard not feeling like the center of the movie all the time like it really does feel like when the camera pans over and follows julia like if at that moment suddenly the movie decided oh wait it's about julia now and it's just going to follow her for like the second half or something i would like totally believe that it could do that and it could be it could find something like compelling about her because or yeah obviously she's compelling already but you know that it could follow her and make a story centered around her character as compelling as the one we're following with you know this opal that howard's got hold of and that he's selling for auction but he lends to kevin garnett and all this sort of stuff like it really does feel like everyone in the story could be the center of their own story because all the performances are so good and the world feels so truly kind of like comprehensive and lived in and that's testament to the production design i particularly love mm. how we shop and the office <laughs> in the yeah. shop as well and how the shop becomes part of the final showdown and there's that really neat kind of like set up and pay off in terms of the door and the kind of airlock security porch whatever you want to call it you can tell i have no mm. idea what you'd really call it but also the writing and um it was josh safty who said um i think it was to vice um that he recently found 160 drafts of it on his computer wow and i mean that is incredible and i think all of that energy but like you say it's chaotic but there's something honed about it there is hmm. one sort of drive and it just feels like slick chaos like yeah you are not at any point feeling motion sickness 
you know your heart's beating but there's a kind of it feels like you're on a water slide there's a flow to it <laughs> even as you're going mm. at like such strange altitudes that is this like completely ecstatic experience I think um, the sheer number of drafts they went through because this was a project that they had been working on for so long. Like, this was basically their next project for every movie they've made over the past decade. And as a result of that, you know, like they, they've talked about how different basketball games and stars were the center of it of different drafts i think sandler was someone they were always interested in but when he initially rebuffed them they started looking at other people who could have played the the central role but like the the core of it the idea of like telling this story that is based around a real basketball game and a real kind of crazy bet that no one would realistically expect to pay off unless you know you knew the outcome as we all, you know, as as the audience, you know, does if they know anything about the, the the Boston Celtics and everything, it really does feel as if they, having finally, you know, the stars aligned where they met Sandler after he saw Good Time and they were able to kind of get a meeting with him and him agreeing to be in the movie, them finally deciding, okay, we're going to do it about this particular game. We're going to get Kevin Garnett to be the. Uh, to be the basketball the real life basketball player and the real game and all this sort of stuff like it really does feel as if the energy of the movie comes from their sheer excitement at finally being able to make this movie mm, for sure um and speaking of kevin garnett i feel like he is such a good supporting player in the movie and it's not merely that he's playing himself but like you really do get a sense of the safties wanting to give the character a real sense of agency and like again like a lot of the other characters in the movie you do get this real sense that he genuinely does seem to like howard you know this kind of like crazy guy who's trying to sell him on all these like jewel encrusted furbies and things like that like it's another it's another case where you look at it and you think if i didn't know that Kevin Garnett was an incredibly famous basketball player. I would just assume this was a guy giving a really good performance as a basketball player. It, it does feel yeah. like so effortless, and he really does. I think that they really do kind of convey his charisma that you also see on the court in like the real life basketball footage that they show, and which forms the central part of the finale. Like they really do tap into his star power as someone who through being a hugely successful basketball player has been on tv has been on screen has been scrutinized so much for so much of his adult life Mm. and i think the other thing that's quite good about the movie is that in the same way that it kind of takes you know real people who the safties found and thought oh these would be like really good people to have in the movie and kind of elevates them to the point where you again you just kind of assume oh like surely julia fox has been in a bunch of stuff and i just don't recognize her like no this is the first thing she's ever been in it's like what the hell how has that happened it does this wonderful thing where it takes the genuine movie stars who are in the movie or like you know established actors and makes them feel kind of brings them down to the everyday level like sandler does just feel like a guy who 
you could see on the streets of New York. Eric Bogosian and Judd Hirsch both yeah. fit into the world they've created so well. Um, I feel like there's this wonderful leveling throughout the whole movie where you could totally imagine that either everyone in the movie was like an established star or everyone in the movie was someone that the Safdie brothers just happened to find on the street. There's no kind of sense that you sometimes get with like non-professional actors where there's like a disparity in quality. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that's just like judicial editing in that they're clearly using the best takes from everyone or some of like the smaller roles, like the two twin brothers that show up and are always asking um, Howard for money. Like they're just like making small use of them but in so doing really kind of creating this sense of a broader world of these characters who are clearly always flitting in and out of Howard's life and we don't need an explanation for who they are or what their prior relationship is because we can infer a lot from just how they interact with each other. Mm, for sure. Uh, did you have any other elements of the movie that you wanted to kind of like highlight? I don't really. I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just a really, really enjoyable movie. Like you say, it's it is kind of like watching someone have a panic attack, but but make it fast. There is something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's just something. That I, I feel like so much of the what's great about the movie is that it does have that tremendous energy, which is when it suddenly stops at the end. Um, like that makes it all the more impactful. Like I know a lot of people talk about the ending being, you know, a bummer, but like. And that's kind of what made it last for me, because when he opens the inside door instead of the outside door and the henchman comes up and, you know, shoots him in the head, that's a moment that whenever, like, for days afterwards, I would think about it and I'd just be kind of like, fuck's sake, Howard. Like, why didn't you... Like, I was, I was, like, mad at the character for making, like, such a screw-up and kind of... Uh, assuming that everyone in the room would be carried along by his sense of euphoria as bet having paid off as opposed to you know the violent mobsters he's been dealing with being like this guy's kept us trapped in a box for hours we're obviously going to kill him i feel I'd like that that sense of like feeling like i'm remembering a screw up a friend of mine made like was what ultimately like tipped it into my number one film of the year there was this real lingering sense of having been through something with a person and not just been like oh yeah i watched that movie and it was good yeah absolutely so we won't have any recommendations this week because uh we're recommending (laughs) gems i guess um presumably if you listen to this you've seen uncut gems watch it again because i really feel like it's a movie that rewards repeat viewing and it's such a like even though the world it takes place in is kind of um, stressful and kind of skeezy in some respects, I feel like it's a really rewarding one to to revisit. Uh, and it's available on Netflix, I believe, in the UK, and I'm pretty sure it's still available in some theatres here in the US, and it'll be available on DVD soon if you want to rewatch it. If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, all the usual places, rated reviewers, and recommend it to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.